welcome to the show, Deborah. It's fantastic to have you with us. This is the very first of our Encore shows where we talk to authors who have already been on the podcast before about their latest release. And your latest release is The Leonard Girls. It's the fourth and final book in the series called The Restless Years, and it covers the story of two sisters set against the background of the Vietnam War. And this is relating to New Zealand and Australian experience of the Vietnam War. But of course, it's got international relevance. Tell us a bit about your interest in the Vietnam War, because you did also do a PhD thesis on it quite a few years ago, didn't you? You have a fascination with the Vietnam War, maybe? I don't know. How did how did you get into it initially? Well, I did my PhD in the mid-90s, and I've been interested in Vietnam since I, I went to university, and I first went to uni in the 70s, and I, I won't say I tailored my studies towards Vietnam, But I did start thinking about doing some research towards Vietnam when I saw at uni a documentary called Hearts and Minds, which was American, and it looked at all sorts of aspects of Vietnam from an American point of view and a Vietnamese point of view, and it really started me thinking about the New Zealand contribution. And when I got to my master's, I wanted to do some research on the New Zealand contribution, but... I sort of got put off doing that and I put that aside until I got to my PhD and there was really not much at all in terms of research done in New Zealand and that just spurred me on to do some original research of my own and, and that's that's how I got into it really. Yes, obviously a history thesis is a very different proposition from a novel and this is a very engrossing family story of the way that the war impacted on individuals and their emotional responses to it. Now, Joe, one of the sisters, is an anti-war protester who actually at the beginning has quite a, um, a black and white idea about right and wrong and almost villainizes the soldiers who are going there, blames them for even being willing to take part in a conflict, even if they're professional soldiers, because in New Zealand, only volunteers went. Nobody was actually drafted there. And Rowie is a military nurse who is about to take up a year's post in a military hospital there. So they're very much on opposite sides of the fence, aren't they? It was must have been interesting for you to set up those two opposite poles right at the start of the story. It, it was, and I did that deliberately, so we, readers could have that contrast. And also against that, there are two other reasonably essential characters who are soldiers. There's Eddie and Sam, who are cousins, and they're in Victor Four Company, and they're connected in a way to Rowie and Joe as well. So you've got that other side of the coin of professional soldiers. And you mentioned before that, the soldiers who went were all volunteers. They weren't volunteers, really. I mean, they were professional soldiers, and their job was to go and fight conflicts where they were sent because, I mean, professional soldiers are employees of the government, and the government is managed by politicians, and politicians sent them to Vietnam. So they didn't really volunteer to go. They no, got sent there. So no, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually, because... 
yeah, what I was meaning really was that there weren't any people just drafted. But of course, yeah. you're quite right. They didn't have a choice about whether they went there or not because they were already in the services. That's absolutely right. And although they both had volunteered for a second, what would you call it? Second term second of service. Tour. Second yeah. tour, that's right. Yeah, second tour. They had mixed feelings about the war themselves, didn't they? And that comes through. Yeah, yeah well, they certainly did. I mean, their feelings change as well during the course of the book for various reasons. Yes. Now, the previous book in the series, The Jacaranda Tree, now that was the one that we talked about in our first um, podcast episode together, Um and I'll make sure that in the show notes we reference that so people could go back and look at the jacaranda tree. But that one spent 21 weeks in the top New Zealand fiction list. And some of the characters from the jacaranda tree, including Polly and Gina, who are another couple of very important characters, were in that, that third book and reappear in this fourth book. It seems to prove certainly that Kiwis very happy to read fiction based on their own history. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure they are. I mean, the comments that I get on my Facebook page and when I go out and talk to people is that they people actually learn their history through reading New Zealand historical fiction. And it's I think it's really important to get the history right and to show the different perspectives. We have, in the past, a lot of our history has been presented by white blokes. Yes. You know, and, and, it's, and it's not so much now, but it's important to look at all, all sides of historical perspective, and that's why I write a lot of my history from the perspective of, of women, because... You know, all history has not been lived by men. Amazing, I know, but it hasn't. <laughs> That's um, quite right. And yeah. also with these stories, a very significant Maori content as well because the armed services were, I would think, outside of the Second and First World War, heavily Maori because it was one area just like for black Americans where they could go into a job and get decent pay and be trained up to something that that they could work at after they leave the forces it was uh, one of the routes where they could find employment wasn't it yeah though interestingly and I'm not sure well I'm pretty sure in the New Zealand military I've had a lot of comments from New Zealand veterans saying that there was no no difference between being Pākehā or Māori in the New, Ze in the New Zealand military. Okay. In, like, say, uh, American military, there, there's the racism within the military was still really awful. Yes. So that, that's an interesting, that's an, an interesting fact, and, and I touch on that a tiny bit in the book. Yes. But once you left the military in New Zealand, of course, you went back to being Māori or, or Pākehā, but within the New Zealand military, there was no difference. Yes. Did your own views of the war change researching for this book as compared with the PhD thesis? Was there any difference in what you turned up and what you came to understand about it? Personally? Yeah. How I felt about it? Yes, or, or things that you learnt in researching the individual stories that maybe weren't quite so clear when you were doing the more um, historically 
academic research? My PhD was based on interviewing 50 Vietnam veterans. So oh, I okay. Think, yeah. I got a lot of grassroots stuff from them anyway. Yes. So it, it, for, for me, it wasn't a particularly turgid and boring academic exercise. It was, yeah. pretty, it was pretty interesting. And so I could move a lot of that information that I learned into the book. And a lot of the veterans' experience ended up in the book in terms of the group talks among the veterans, like when they're having a drunk night out, quite yes. a lot of the discussion comes out in that. That's real veteran speak. Yes. Um, but some new stuff that I discovered with the book is that the number of entertainers that went from New Zealand, particularly Māori show bands, I had no idea that many bands went to entertain. I thought it had been a couple, like the Māori Volcanics, and you know. But yes. it, was, it was dozens. It was yes. dozens of bands. You know. And mu- music is a lovely part of the book because Joe, um, in the end, goes to Vietnam as a singer in a band and Polly and Gina are the other band members. So music plays a huge part in the book and some of the... You, you really get into the song lists and things. So you talk a lot about the songs of those years and what was popular with the soldiers and what wasn't. It's, that side of it is also very interesting. It makes it very much come alive. Yeah, well, I particularly like music and I was a teen in the 70s. 70s was my decade. I mean, some people hate the 70s because they don't like orange and brown, but it <laughs> was my decade, you know, and and that the music, the music from the 60s and the 70s, I really remember. And I had great fun looking up those song lists. I really did. I mean, you can't beat YouTube for song lists. So Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, here in New Zealand, it's not so obvious to people in other places, and 60% of our listenership is in the United States. So they they may not have even heard of the Gallipoli campaign, which was the First World War campaign in Turkey, which is seen as the campaign that really established New Zealand's identity as something separate from being uh, just one of the Commonwealth countries that had been colonised by Britain. New Zealand and Australia both, so that's where the term ANZAC came from. And we tend to have kind of almost um, glorified that campaign, which was a failed campaign where we were actually invading somebody else's country when you look at it. Now we're starting to reframe that uh, battle in, in a different light. But I wondered if anything similar happened to us over Vietnam. I'm thinking about things like perhaps a loss of confidence in institutions and our political leadership over what happened with Vietnam. Those men who went there and when they came back, they were almost vilified even by normal people. They didn't come back to a country which said to them, you're great soldiers and you here, come and join the RSA. Even the RSA didn't want them. Did it help to, re- did it make us reframe ourselves that war in a different way from what Gallipoli did? Well, Gallipoli campaign was horrendous and it was an utter failure thanks to incompetent British military commanders, including Winston Churchill. Yeah. I don't know why New Zealanders picked that to glorify. I've got no idea, no idea why people go to Gallipoli and celebrate it, but that's a slightly different story. I don't know why 
people vilify the soldiers who went to Vietnam shows a deep lack of understanding of the politics of the time. Yeah. Because we belonged, New Zealand belonged to ANZUS, the Australian New Zealand US Defence Alliance. We had to send troops. That was part of the alliance. Part of the alliance also meant we had trade agreements with the US. We had already taken advantage of those. There's no way we couldn't send troops. Keith Holyoke Holyoke tried really hard not to send anyone for years. That was the New Zealand Prime Minister at the time. Yeah, he was called the most dovish of the whore because he refused and refused and refused to send anyone and then finally sent a civilian medical team and then was pushed and pushed by Johnson in America and sent non-combatant engineers and then finally in 65 sent an artillery battery and then when he couldn't avoid it any longer in 67, sent a rifle company. So he did his very best to send no one. But no, protesters still cracked all over the soldiers that did go. Yes. And also, without giving anything away about what happens in the story, the soldiers who were invalided out of service after they were injured in Vietnam, were also, it seemed to me from what you indicate in the book, not treated well either. They they weren't really retired out with any honour. They were just more or less sent home and forgotten about. Yes, that yes, that's based on an actual experience. Um, so I, that's, not, that's not fiction. That's based on an experience. So, yes, so if you can't do job anymore... In, they weren't they weren't useful anymore, and so that was for physical, physical injury and also mental injury. Yeah, so. yeah. Obviously, your research from your PhD thesis has come into great uh, use in this book. Yeah, it, it, well, it really, really, really was, and I mean, it's something that's stuck. It had a huge impact on me at the time. I didn't have to look anything up. This was all in my head. I mean, this is how many years ago? It was 1996. I can't remember. I can't count backwards either. But it was quite a long time ago. So, yeah, it was just... I I had it in the back of my head. I was always going to do a Vietnam novel, and it's taken this long for my writing stars to align to do it. Yes. It's it's not the great New Zealand Vietnam novel, but it's my attempt at it, and I'm glad I've done it. Yes, and there's some lovely little um, personal details as well. One of the ones that I'd love you just to talk about a little bit is this pink citron that features in the story, a pink citron that was given to the nurses that they could use for transport around the base. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I think it was Victor Three Company, Rifle Company, found, and I hope I got that right because they'll be pissed off if I haven't, found <laughs> a, a black citron in the bush that belonged to the North Vietnamese Army so they dragged it out. They were told to leave it alone, but they didn't. They dragged it out and took it back to Nui Dat, which is where the Australians and the New Zealanders were based. And they worked on it in their spare time, which they didn't have much of, in the workshop. And when 
Victor three went home, Victor four took it over, and it, it was full of bullet holes and fixed it all up, did the bodywork and painted it bright pink and then donated it to the nurses at the Australian Field Hospital down the road in Vangtau so that the nurses can drive around to it and go to the beach and all that sort of thing, and so, which was very gratefully received. And then they passed on, passed it on to all the New Zealand nurses who came after them. So that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, lovely, absolutely lovely. Have you ever been to Vietnam yourself? No, I haven't. We, we had everything teed up and tickets to go, and then COVID arrived, so... Oh, no, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a very real sense in the book of those locations, the places you're talking about. I really had this conviction you've been there yourself because it's so real. So that's lovely to hear. We are trying to keep this shorter, so we will start to wind down. But tell me, is this book available internationally? I know that your publishers are HarperCollins, New Zealand, Australia, but if Americans are interested in getting hold of it, is it available in Amazon and places like that? I think, well, I don't know, I'm a bit confused about this. People say you can get my books on Amazon.com. So you can get it as an ebook. So try Amazon.com. So right. People in America can get it through there. Excellent, Deborah. Look, thank you so much for your time. Just one final question, I guess. Yep. What are you working on now? Can you tell us what your current project is? Yes, I've gone back to the 19th century and long dresses, and it's a new trilogy based on a young girl called Tatty Crow who inherits through slightly nefarious means an undertaking business. And she works slightly in the shadows, but she's a heroine so she works for good but not always on the right side of the law and is that in set in New Zealand or Australia or both that's that's set in Sydney in the 1870s but she does visit New Zealand oh fantastic it sounds great it'll be another winner I'm sure because you've done a whole lot of historical series that have, have had a lot of success, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. My, yeah my, the, the 19th century ones seem to go really well. And for some reason, I'm absolutely fascinated with cemeteries and funerals and corpses. Don't ask me why, but I am. <laughs> so, see how it goes. So that huge cemetery in Sydney, was it the Rook? Was it? Rook, Rookwood. Rookwood, yeah. that's right, yes. That's really a famous Australian cemetery. I guess it'll get a mention somewhere. Oh, definitely, and I've, I've been there three times, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Look, we'll look forward to that one, Deborah. But thank you so much for talking to us today about the Leonard Girls. Okay, thank you very much, Jenny.